Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Thank you so much for tuning in. On today's episode, we've got my friend Brett Lindley joining us to talk about a new Steam Early Access game coming out called Levelhead. Levelhead is a 2D platformer that's also got some level creation tools in it so that users can create and share levels uh, with one another. Really interesting stuff and a really fun conversation with Brett that I hope you'll enjoy. As always, today's episode is produced with music and the artwork by Misha Zarens. Thanks again for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a new video game coming out on Steam at Steam Early Access. It's called Levelhead. It's by the developer Butterscotch Shenanigans, which I talked about on a previous episode uh, with Brett Lindley. Uh, they also um, made a game called Crashlands, but this newest title is Levelhead. And joining us today is Brett Lindley to talk about that game. Brett, thank you for joining. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so... Um, Brett uh, actually had the opportunity to be an alpha tester on this game. Is that right, Brett? Yep, that's correct. So um, he has has already had a lot of hands-on time with it, and from what I understand, has been pretty involved in it. And Brett is actually going to be streaming uh, Levelhead on Twitch following its release, um, which is sometime here in April, like in April of 2019. Um, so, you know, I, I know a little bit about it, really just from, you know, off-the-record off conversations with Brett. But, uh, Brett, why don't you kind of tell the audience what Levelhead's all about? Okay, thanks. So, uh, yeah, as you said, it's Levelhead's being made by Butterscotch Shenanigans. Uh, they're a game dev group out of St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, their their previous uh, game, Crashlands, was super amazing. I've been a big fan of them ever since. And uh, Levelhead has been their creation that I've been following very closely. They've got a podcast and a Discord server. And... Uh, and I've been following their development with that, you know, really intently. But Levelhead is a—they call it a platformer maker. So it's—it's it's at its core, it's a platformer. It's a two-dimensional side-scrolling platformer. Um, but they're also throwing in the maker elements and getting the community involvement. So essentially, it's like a Mario Maker, um, just with more of the things that they can do and more of the the elements that they can add. Uh, especially being not restricted by an IP, you know, they don't have to have, you know, shells and, you know, Mario themed elements. They're using the the elements and the story of their world that they're creating. So Levelhead exists in the same universe as uh, Crashlands does. And you take part as a an employee of the Bureau of Shipping. And so in the in the Crashlands universe, uh, Flux was also an employee of the Bureau of Shipping, and she, you know, was tasked with delivering these packages, and her spaceship gets attacked over Woanope, and she crashes to the surface, and that's where the game takes place. The Bureau of Shipping has decided that ship transportation of packages is dangerous and is costly, and instead, they want to deliver packages with robots. And so you're tasked with taking one of these robots, which is called a, a GR-18, or a Great Teen for short, and you're tasked with taking this robot, and when it comes out of the factory, they're like a dumb robot baby. And they don't know anything, they don't know how to deliver packages, and it's your job to train them to deliver packages and 
you know, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how dangerous the terrain, no matter what monsters may exist anywhere in the universe, your job is to put this robot through its paces so it can become the best robot that it can be and deliver packages really well, and also to design levels to challenge other employees' robots so that they can train their robots better. So, you know, whatever you experience and whatever trials and tribulations you go through, take that, learn from it, design levels, share them with the community. And that's kind of the the story and the theme and the feel, along with Butterscotch Shenanigans' crazy sense of just fun, ridiculous humor is all over the place in it and and it makes for a a really fun time it's a really kind of a a fast-paced platformer it's almost it's it's kind of that that's that perfect balance between something that's just totally brutal like a super meat boy and something that's a lot more gentle and fun like a mario so it's kind of this in between and and having something like that on pc i know i've wanted a Mario Maker, but I've not owned a Nintendo product since the Nintendo GameCube, and and I've wanted something like Mario Maker for a long time. There's a couple of mobile apps that exist out there, but they're full of monetization schemes or just poorly done code. And this is finally that opportunity for me to to really stretch my legs as a level designer and kind of get in there. Awesome, yeah. So Mario Maker. Um, is something that I'm familiar with and, and probably most of our audience, but just to, to, to briefly recap, it's a, you know, everyone knows what Mario is. So that's how Levelhead plays on a very, from a very, you know, 10,000 foot view, a very high level um, side-scroller platformer. But the maker aspect of it is, is, as Brett was kind of describing, you literally create your own levels from, from scratch. And, and now when I say from scratch, you have access to all of the assets and I'm sure, and Brett can explain, you know, in good detail, but assets and tools to use to make it simple so it's not like you're <laughs> you're literally starting from nothing you do have a, a toolbox to work with um the first game that i ever saw actually to incorporate that kind of gameplay if you will uh, at least in the modern era is is little big planet uh that released on playstation 3 i don't know if you yep. ever played any of those yeah um i haven't played it but i i've, I've watched uh, some gameplay of it i've watched some live streams and stuff and there have been some references to you know people that i've seen and gotten to play test level head have, have made a few references to ideas like little big planet so mm-hmm. it's a it's good awesome comparison. um so uh, i you know i will say um Having seen a little bit of it, you know, I'm personally a huge 2D side-scroller platformer fan. Mario is everyone from our age's favorite original game, I think. Uh, that or Sonic. For me, it's both. Right. I, I played both of them. Um, and it's it's been interesting to see how that genre has kind of held on through the years because at the beginning, it you know that was the beginning of, of the huge popularization of gaming. And, you know, from, from the Super Nintendo, or the, excuse me, the Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, to the Super Nintendo, you have, um, those games are really kind of at the forefront, but then as, as gaming started to switch to 3D, it kind of was lost for a while. I mean, even, you know, Nintendo 64, Mario 64 is considered one of the great, you know, games of all time, but it's a 3D platformer, so it plays very differently than, than one of these games. Um, the one that, that grabbed my attention coming into the, the, again, the last few years is, is Rayman Legends. Um, I thought Rayman was a, a really fun and cute and silly and, and kind of struck a good balance, kind of like you were talking about with Levelhead, of having 
a lot of a, a lot of challenge, but at the same time making the player feel like it's something you can accomplish. It's not it's not crazy. Um, so, would you say in level head that you find yourself spending more time playing through the levels? Do you find yourself spending more time making levels split even? Like, where do you see yourself there? Probably a, a little bit more closer to like a 60-40 split. I think I want to spend more time playing levels. Um, there is a campaign, so there's a fully fleshed out campaign for the game um, that you play through various levels. It teaches you the content that Levelhead has available and how some of it works and how some of it differs from other platforms because there are some pretty unique elements to Levelhead that it's it, it, it keeps you from kind of having a full toolbox all at once. So you unlock the ability to make levels as you play through the game. And uh, you unlock building levels pretty early, but the content that you're able to put in them is kind of limited. You got you know, just a few pieces. And as you play through the campaign, you get more and more and more. And I think that, you know, of course, it being, it wasn't a humongous alpha. It was, it was pretty limited in scope. They were trying to make sure that, you know, they could stress test things a little bit. Um, but it was more about making sure that, you know, there weren't any game-breaking bugs or crashes and things like that. So it was less about server load testing and more about, you know, just making sure that the campaign flowed well and getting suggestions and feedback about what needs to be in the game before we hit early access. And so I think that because of that, you know, for start, it took a while to, to play through the game. Probably not an obscene amount of time. I would say maybe... I, I don't, I'm not even sure, probably maybe about 10 to 20 hours of, you know, of, to unlock everything. It was one thing to kind of beat through all the levels, but then there's also secrets and bonus content that you, you know, challenge content to unlock some of the, the end tier stuff. And it's definitely not all necessary. You can start making levels with the barest minimum of components and they can be challenging and fun and, and intense and difficult with just the bare minimum of components. But, you know, everybody was kind of striving to unlock everything. So in the beginning, not as many people were making levels in the beginning part of the, the early access, or the, sorry, the alpha. And, you know, as people unlock stuff and more people got into making levels, that's, for me, that's probably one of the more fun things to do. I love playing through other people's levels, but I'm probably more, you know, we talked before about, you know, Minecraft and Terraria. For me, it's about, creating an experience and especially that community driven aspect so levelhead offers a lot of statistics available for you on the levels that you create as well as the levels that you play so you can see how many levels you have you know the fastest speed on or the highest score and you can even see if somebody beats your score there's a notifications area that you can go look at and see who's beaten your scores or your times and maybe go replay those levels and have that kind of speed running mentality of the back and forth trying to one up other people but on your own levels it shows you how many times people have played through them how much aggregate time they've spent playing your levels so you can have a level with you know six hours of play time if that level only takes a, a couple few minutes to beat then that means that hundreds of people have either played your level or one person has replayed it hundreds of times and and that's just for me those are the stats that i crave is if i make a level that gets a really a, a huge amount of play time that means that people love it 
and they're replaying it. They're trying to speed run it. They're trying to find the secrets to get the highest score, you know, because those are things you can add secret areas. You can add, you know, traps. You can add, there's a whole logic system with switches and gates and, you know, you're able to tie if you want to step on a, a switch and have it activate a, a whole bunch of coins or gems for somebody to go run and get and have that be on a timer. So you step on the switch and the coins are there for 10 seconds and then they disappear, you can do that. And so for me, it's it's building those experiences for other people to have brings me so much joy and you know fine-tuning a level making sure the checkpoints are in a good spot so that players don't get too frustrated but it's also challenging like i love level design i love game design it's been something that's been a huge part of kind of my life and being able to do that in a way that other people can then experience it is just ah, that's that's gold for me shared an article um about with one another i mean but um i don't remember who wrote it i don't know if it was in kotaku or if it was just a blog somewhere or what but it was all about the the brilliance of the design of the very first level in in the nes mario brothers oh um, yeah i think that was a that? kotaku article yep yeah and it just it it talked about how it it teaches you how to play the game without a tutorial in so much as a, a text-based tutorial you know games these days as we talked about in that terraria episode some of them don't even bother to try and put text in the game and instead you, you kind of have to go out to a wiki or some external source to find out <laughs> how it all works um and i think that's something that is that the, the the 2d platformer genre kind of has maybe an easier time with you know a game like minecraft or terraria there's so much complexity to it that i don't know how they could design it and teach it to you without <laughs> without walls of text some text yeah and without a <laughs> wiki but in a platformer like that it really does kind of allow you to 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 communicate via the level design because there's oftentimes not as much um complexity which you know terraria and minecraft we talked about are great but there are a lot of games where that complexity as we i'm calling it now really is just bloat um and I, I, that's one thing I love about these platformers like this is that they just don't have that same level of bloat. Um, it's just a, a more kind of pure, if you will, <laughs> gaming experience or more distilled maybe gaming yeah, experience. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I think it is. I think it's just harder to teach people in, in a 3D game because of the number of ways to access it, right? Like 
is are you using the left thumbstick to move and the right to look around? Are you is there some different control scheme in a platformer? You've got you know four to eight directions depending on the game, and and or a top down. It's it's always easier to do something in that two D space because there's just less information to process, so people can pick it up a lot more easily. Agreed. So um, I personally have always played. Um, these types of games, you know, pretty much solo. And if I've played with a friend, it's been that experience where I play until I die or until I finish a level and then pass the controller to a friend and they, they kind of do that. Right. Does level head have, is that the way that you would play with another person or is there, I know that some of the more modern Mario games have actual on screen simultaneous co-op does level head feature that yeah so it's got up to uh four player couch co-op so they they are not doing any online multiplayer um for start online multiplayer just adds a whole host of issues um but it also adds another element which is latency and in a fast-paced platforming environment where life or death is in the frames um you know like like you know 30 frames 60 frames a second that could one frame could be the difference between life or death you want to have that instant input reaction and so they are doing couch co-op up to four players simultaneous and um, you can couch co-op through the campaign with all four players um, or you can build and or play levels simultaneously so you can have all four people in the level editor at the same time for better or worse and everybody can be making changes um, they just have to share the same screen. So if you want to pan around, you have to agree on something. So for those that have played Overcooked, uh, agreeing on something, getting four people to agree on how to do something can can be part of the fun of uh, and the experience of playing through it. But four-player, if, if you build a level that requires four people to beat it, um, then it'll be published as requiring four people to beat it. Um, but if you play or if you publish a level that only requires one person to beat it um four people can still try to play it (laughs) so that can that can break some levels um one of the the biggest mechanics of level head that kind of distinguishes it from a lot of other platformers is that you're not alone even in single player you're not alone you have the package the package is kind of a, a friendly AI autonomous companion cube sort of thing. On its own, it doesn't do anything um, but be really heavy and and fall you know with gravity. Um, but with uh, GR18, he's got kind of this grappling hook, and the grappling hook can shoot out and grab objects or manipulate certain objects, pick them up so he can carry them um, and and run and jump with them. And the package specifically is. The goal, of course, is to find the package, collect it, and then bring it to the end goal. And that's how you complete a mission. But with with the package, you can do so many other things. So you can grab the package and say there's a big spike pit between you and the goal. And it's too big for you to jump over. Well, you can grab the package, jump halfway over the pit, throw it straight down under you, and then land on it. And now you've got a safe spot to land on. But you've still got to get that package to the goal. So you know, if you just jump to the goal without the package, you don't win. You have to go get it. So what you can do is jump off the package, and in, in midair, you can shoot your grappling hook underneath you, grab the package, and then complete your jump the rest of the way, and now you've got the package to the goal. And that's kind of the most basic maneuver. It's it's actually deemed in the game a package jump. And it's one of the things that, that can make 
like I was talking about earlier, the most simplest design elements into a fully complete and complex level. One of the levels that uh, Seth, one of the game designers, had made, he challenged himself with, can I make a fun level with just one level element, just one thing? And so he made a level in which everything in the level is spikes. The entire level is just full of spikes in different places and, and pits that you can fall into and die. Um, and you start the level standing on top of the package. So, you know, with what we described doing these package jumps, you've got to jump, grab the package, and then throw it really quickly underneath you to land on it on the next set of spikes. You do this over and over a few times, increasing in difficulty. You know, the, the spikes that you have to throw it on get smaller, so you have to throw it into a more precise place until you get to the goal. And he had deemed this, this level, uh, he named it Package Jump Panic. And that level name has now kind of blown up into its whole own style of level. During Alpha, everybody found this one of the most challenging levels to beat, but spikes are one of the first things you unlock. So it's really easy for everybody else to go in and try to make their own version of Package Jump Panic. So everybody jumped in and started making their own named versions like Nightmare Package Jump Panic or Puzzling Package Jump Panic. And, and it started getting shortened to PJP. So a PJP level is one of these really ultra difficult levels that require really precise maneuvering. Um, sorry, I kind of got off topic there, but, but you can play these multiplayer as well. And, and the grappling hook offers this other advantage, which is you can grappling hook another player and throw them. So, you know, more than just kind of being able to jump on one person or help beat an enemy, you could pick another player up and throw them across a gap or throw them to a spot where they can grab something and, and maybe bring it back to you. And it's just this, this grappling hook and the package offer these two elements that when paired together, for me, it just changes... It's not like they're going to, you know, break platformers. Like, platformers are pretty ubiquitous. But, like, Sonic was a platformer, but you're really fast, you know? And I think Levelhead is a platformer, but you have access to a wide array of tools and power-ups. There's a number of power-ups in the game as well that give you different abilities. And and mixing those together is just an experience that I'm really excited to to dig into more. Yeah, that's interesting. Earlier when you were talking about um, making making levels and how you have to, you know, play through the campaign to unlock more um, tools to 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 build the levels with, I was thinking, I wonder if there will be a, um, for lack of a better term, a little cottage industry of people who just try and make levels with like just one thing and then it turns out that's actually just the very first thing that got popular oh. so. <laughs> <laughs> i mean that it's a challenge sense. that that i threw against myself too when i was making levels is that mm -hmm. you know kind of going to what we were talking about with like the wiki and even even games like you know that we talked about before like terraria and don't starve and minecraft where a lot of the fun is discovery i think that you know the the campaign does a decent job of teaching you the basics of the different items and they try to limit it to just a few items per level to, sh to really kind of showcase one element like a spring or you know a slime block and how that interacts with the character and how that interacts with other objects that have physics on them but in the level editor i think throwing a constraint on yourself like i'm just gonna play with you know, spikes in the package, like we talked about, or I'm just going to play with slime box and 
you know, saw blades on moving paths. Because um, you can have moving paths and, you know, moving blocks and things. You can There's some of these fun, more machine-type elements that you can utilize. And kind of limiting yourself to that almost opens you up to, you know, you do the, the obvious thing first. You know, I'm going to... However this block is used, like, let's say, saw blades and, and slime blocks. I want to have a, a slime block. It's something that I slippery kind of slide on, kind of like an ice block. And... Then the saw blade, you know, I want to jump over. So it's, I want to, that's the first level of difficulty. It's the first thing you think of if you're going to mix these two items together. Um, but then it also challenges you to go, okay, well, if that's the level, if it's one jump and you run and you slide on a slime block and you jump over a saw blade, then that's easy, right? And that's too fast. It's too quick of a level. It's not very satisfying. Mm -hmm. So it starts making you think like, okay, how can I manipulate this mechanic in either a way that maybe the devs didn't think of or at least in a way that's different to continue to make the game or that level engaging and fun and so you start experimenting with a few things maybe you add one more element which is you put the camera on a path and this creates an auto scroller okay so now that's another level of tension for the player they've got to keep up you know if the, the level scrolls off and they fall off and die then mm -hmm. you know may can we have saws chasing them through the level okay that you know that's visually it doesn't change the mechanic of the level too much but visually it's fun and maybe we have the camera move sideways for a while and suddenly start moving up or start moving faster or you know maybe the saw blades move faster or maybe there's bigger saw, bl saw blades or maybe they have to use the slime block to to get a lot of speed and then slide under something you know faster than they would be able to run and and i think that it's that discovery that you get by using constraints if you just try to put one of everything in a level you can do it but you can't necessarily always leverage those things or discover new ways to use them if you limit yourself to just you know maybe two or three design elements then you can go, okay, how can I keep reusing these two or three elements in new and interesting and exciting ways? And that's where you start to really like, you get those aha moments where you're like, oh, I can, I can, you know, put it two saws at opposing times. And if I, if I do it in a way that the timing of the level is here and you have to reach this point at just a certain, you know, point, then that creates a really tense moment and I'll put the checkpoint afterwards so you have to have this kind of accomplishment to, to continue to progress. And you start discovering these elements and how they work together. Should you give the player the package at the beginning of the level? Because the package always has to be there because it's part of the goal. The requirements for any level are, you know, the great team robot that you play as, the package that you have to deliver, and the goal that you have to deliver it to. Everything else is up to you. And so, but that's still a decision point. If you give them the package early, then they can use that package to hit enemies or knock them out of their way. They can use it to trigger, you know, switches or, you know, act, you know, send it off into an area that they can't access by throwing it. They can land on it to avoid, you know, spike pits. Maybe you don't want them to avoid that spike pit. Maybe you want them to discover a hidden block. Well, if you give them the package early, then they know that they can just, you know, do a package jump on the spikes and get through it. So maybe you put the package after the, the spike pit, and that forces the player to think. And they go, okay, how do I get through it? And it's it's those moments you only really 
discover as, at least for me, I only really discover them when I put those constraints on myself to say, how much am I going to give the player to work with? And it also kind of keeps me from my own feature creep, right? Where I keep going, oh, what if I add this to a level and add this to a level? Kind of narrowing that scope down and going, how can I make, is there some way to use this saw blade that nobody thought of before? Can I can I challenge myself to do that? And finding those things, for me anyway, is that like, it's that moment of like, you've done something that nobody else on the planet has done. You've used this item in a way and if you do it, if you do it well, and other people love it, they are going to emulate you, and you're going to start seeing that element in their levels, you know. And I don't know. I think that that for me is probably one of the most awesome things to to see. And if I see something in a level that somebody else made that I've never seen before, and I think it's going to fit in my level, maybe I go, I get stuck building for a while. I get, I hit that, you know, writer artist block or whatever. I'll go play some levels, and I play a level, and somebody says you know, a saw blade with maybe a certain set of switches or something. And I'm not using switches in my level, but if I added them, maybe I can replicate this mechanic that they're using. And and so maybe I'll lift that constraint off of me and say, okay, saw blades and switches and slide blocks. But if I do that, I can add their element to mine and kind of mix and match and create and discover. And it's that discovery that I think some of that you can't contain in a wiki. Some of that is just people figure it out and it kind of distributes socially. I don't really have a larger point about this game I'm about to mention other than to say that talking about the package jump <clears throat> mechanic and and those kind of, you know, the grappling hook um, as kind of the new, the unique, uh, for lack of a better term, hooks. <laughs> I don't mean to call the grappling hook a hook. But, um, but anyway, those unique things, you know, for, for, for the game, it kind of, it made me immediately think of a game from... Uh, I think it was 2008 or nine. It released on on the 360, and it's since come to PC. But it's called Braid, and um, it's a 2D platformer that its hook or its unique take or whatever is um, that it it has the ability that you can rewind time, and so you run. Let's say you run, you know, a hundred feet in front of you. Well, then you can press a button and rewind and take your character back any to any point in time in that trip of that hundred feet. So then what the game does is it introduces some items that are immune to the, the the time rewind. So they just stay wherever you put them. So for example, one of the very first levels in that game is you there's a, a pit that's very easy to jump over, but to uh, when you jump over the pit, there's a door to unlock. Well, the key to unlock that door is actually at the bottom of that pit. But the pit is far too deep for you to jump in and then back out of. 
So what you do is you jump down into the pit and grab the key, but the key is actually one of those items that's marked so that it won't it won't be affected by the time rewind. So you grab the key and then you rewind your character back out of the pit with a jump you just made, and now you still have the key on you, and then you can make the jump over the little gap and, and get through. Um, obviously not the same mechanic that you've described, but but kind of a similar hook or, or way that like until I had seen that, I had never really thought of that in a platformer, and just like I'd never really thought of having a grappling hook and a package that you can jump off on and off of in that, in that way, right. especially in a game that's not, um, that's not combat centric, you know, Mega Man kind of has some elements like right. that or Metroid, but those are more fighting, you know, well, and even Metroid's right. grappling hook is very limited in scope. Mm-hmm. Like it's just right. used on the grappling hook icon, which a lot of games do. Like a lot of games, there's only, in fact, probably one of my favorite games that had a grappling hook was there was, I don't remember what the sub name of it was. It was one of the 007 games that came out on GameCube. So probably like 2003 to 2005 era. And hmm. it, it had a grappling hook item that was in it that you could latch onto anything with. And all like our most fun times using that was playing like Spider-Man like games where you have like only pistols and grappling hooks and everybody's just like web slinging through this, you know, first person shooter arena. And, but so many games don't do that. So many games say, if you get the grappling hook, you can only use it on spots that are clearly marked grappling hook here, you know? Right. And yeah, no, go ahead. I was just going to say having that available to be used for, other objects in the world is just i I think it's really a fun mechanic Mm -hmm. yeah um yeah it makes me bionic commando kind of comes to mind they did a bionic Bionic commando like rearmed or something that was like a remaster that they did oh yeah that was their big ago yeah and they that was a grappling hook anything wasn't it it was but again it the, the i would say the biggest difference is that it it's also a game about fighting about, you know, you have a gun and you're shooting bad guys, you know, Contra or Metroid or Mega Man or whatever style you want. And I don't know what you would, how you would classify those games differently because I I mean, they're all called 2d platformers, I think, (laughs) but, but they're, it's not, I mean, I guess to some extent Metroidvania has kind of become the the name for, (laughs) for those type of games that involve fighting and exploration. Um, Another one that kind of comes to mind is Guacamelee. Oh, yeah, that um, was good. It's a really good platformer, and it's interesting because it, it's combat, but it's all melee combat because you play a, a luchador and uh, a Mexican wrestler with the, the mask or whatever. And so your movement abilities double as your combat abilities. So you get like you unlock a, unlock a super uppercut that launches you really high in the air to hit enemies with, but you can also use that to just jump really high to access different parts of the level. Um, anyway, just the level head is just you, you explaining it, just making me think of all these other titles and it, it to be clear, all of the ones I've mentioned eh, outside of bionic commando, I haven't actually played that that much, but like braid and obviously the Metroids and the mega mans and all of these other things we've mentioned, guacamelee are, our masterpiece level game. So the fact that that level head is invoke evoking those those thoughts, just you know, just hearing about it, um, I don't know, makes it sound pretty compelling to me. I'm definitely excited to check it out. Um, you know, once it drops here here within the, sometime this month, um, something that I, I I think is really interesting, and we've talked about this 
<laughs> at great length. And I don't know that there's really a, a, a consensus answer because I don't know that there that anyone knows what it is. But that is the the kind of the question of what makes what makes a good game um, and what makes a good gaming experience. And I think that one of those things is how often do you make interesting choices? Um, and then another one of the, which is what you're talking about with all these different ways you could really look to either create levels or approach how to solve the problems presented in levels. Right. Um, and then the other thing is, is really, you know, a little bit of the other angle of that would be some sort of mechanical skill. And so, you know, whether that be executing a timely jump or, or avoiding the, the spike trap at the end of the slime block or whatever, you know, right. Um, those are, I think those are probably two of the most fundamental elements is good feeling mechanics. And when I say mechanics, again, I mean, like, how does it feel to run and jump? Does your character stop where you thought it would? Right. Um, how floaty is it when you jump? And, and the, the truth is, is like Super Meat Boy is super floaty and Super Meat Boy as far as the jumps. Right. Go. But it's also one of the most precise games, you know, ever. So it doesn't mean that there's I don't know that there's necessarily a right way as long as it's just done well and it's consistent. No, and that's um, something that that yeah. the Butterscotch crew talk about at length on a, on a couple of their podcast episodes and how it's a lot of people that get into like game creation. You know, one of the first things that a lot of people make is some kind of 2D game and 2D platformers is something that everybody's got a lot of experience with and is, you know, something that they want to re recreate. And on the surface level, it's very easy to recreate a 2D platforming game. There's tons of tutorials and engines that can get you a very simple kind of Mario-esque first level within a few hours of learning to code, right? But they said mm -hmm. that, that the difficult part is making it feel right and feel good because right. one thing that so many people are kind of kind of confirmation biased with is how how good they are at platformers right and and they say that a lot of times when somebody says this player controls really well like mario's got really tight controls part of that is that it's very responsive to your inputs you know there's not any input lag or anything but the other part of it is that there's a lot more forgiveness coded into how that character interacts with the world than you think that there's buffering of if you press the button a tenth of a second too late and you were supposed to die there if if you write it the way it's you know, the way everybody thinks it's supposed to be and you die there because you miss this jump by a tenth of a second, almost everyone will say, I hit the button, I shouldn't have died. That's bullshit. And, right. and so they spent an extensive amount of time figuring out how much it's, it's, that's where the tightness is, is how much leniency do you give the player? If you give the player too much leniency, then you know, if it's a, a half a second or a full second after they were supposed to have jumped and they hit the jump button, then it feels gross, right? It feels like there's lag. But if you don't give them any leniency, then people are going to rage that, no, I hit the button. This is this is bullshit. I'm not playing your game. It's it's terribly, the controls are terrible. And, and they talk a lot about, you know, the first hundred lines of code are making the platformer. The next 60,000 are, are making it good. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, think that that, that makes a ton of sense. Um, because, yeah, ultimately, like, it's not fun if the only way to succeed is if you jump when you're on this exact pixel. Right. And if your character's on any other pixel, then you'll die. Well, no one's going to spend any time playing that. Um, do, do you remember the game that launched, I don't know, on iPhone probably six years ago, I'm guessing? It was called Flappy Bird. Yep. Do you, do you yep. remember I that? I never played any Flappy Bird, but... <laughs> But no, no. God, I, no. I did actually make a Flappy Bird clone uh, for a game jam. So Nice. Yeah. I, I, nice. I burst. <laughs> so Flappy Bird is the antithesis of what we're talking about, where it's it, actually it's it's almost exactly what Brett just described. It's the antithesis of, of what I think Levelhead probably is and, and what you know some of these other um, excellent games from the past that we've talked about. Flappy Bird was was pretty much someone taking their first stab at making a platformer and it does and it's not exactly a platformer but basically um but anyway it it does check all the boxes right you 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 guide a character through different obstacles and have to do different inputs to make sure that they make it to the other side of the screen or whatever but the guy who made it spent I would estimate at least zero time doing any of the things you're talking about. Like he just wrote the first hundred lines and then published it. Right. Um, right. And it's the, it's just, I don't know. Just, <laughs> I, but again, he, he also like, he, he was a winner there though. Like that's, that's one of those times where you a hundred lines of code and he became famous. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Well he got, yeah. He sold an enormous amount of right. copies of it too. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's one of those things where it was like, it was such a bad example that people were just fascinated to go see. Like, I can't believe that this exists. Uh, so, because <laughs> it was technically playable, <laughs> but anyway. barely, and it was it was right. infuriating. There were it was one of those where like, no, I hit the button. Like, right. I think to go back a little bit on what mm -hmm. else makes a good game, I think that the and it's not always true. Like it it is not a requirement, and we've talked at length that like art is not a requirement for a good game, but it can definitely enhance a good game to be great. Oh, totally agree. And totally agree. I think that Don't Starve would have been fun without, you know, the amazing art style. But I think the amazing, I never would have bought it. Yeah, the amazing art style is something that helps. And if you know, for those that have seen Crashlands, know the kind of kind of just ridiculous art style. Like it's it's good art, but the the monsters are all very unique. There's lots of plays on words and just strange combinations of creatures and this a very iconic kind of vector art style that butterscotch shenanigans uses and it's pushed you know they're cranking it up to 11 in my mind for Levelhead. the art is just phenomenal and everything is very crisp it's very bright and colorful which is something that for me like seeing so much color in in a game and have it not be this kind of like sepia tones of you know an apocalyptic wasteland or anything just it's got a, a full spectrum of color to it and it's it's really really enriching even in you know like mario has quite a bit of color to it and it is a very bright game but it's still also kind of constrained by like you've got green and blue or green blue and red turtles you know for koopas and that's it and and not having those constraints and being able to use whatever palettes they want for their creatures you know thwomps have to be gray in mario not the case they can make them whatever you know however they want 
that kind of level element to be, they can make it that way. And and so for me, the art is just, it's really intense. It's really fun. It's silly while also being like things that can kill you look like they can kill you and things that, you know, are less harmful. Some of them, there are some monsters and some combat in the game. Um, and some of the really less harmful monsters really just, you almost feel bad for killing them. Like, because <laughs> they look cute. Right. right. And I, I don't know. I, I think the other thing, you know, to go along with that is the music. And um, the group uh, Fat Bard is returning. They did the, the soundtrack for Crashlands, which was phenomenal. And, you know, put another four years of experience on them. And they're returning to release the soundtrack for Levelhead. A few of the tracks are already out there on Twitter. If you, uh, if you go look up uh, Fat Bard or kind of one of the, I think it's a two, two-person group. And one of them is Pat Bard, P-A-T. Um, and his Twitter has a few a few track releases of Levelhead on it as well. So amazing stuff. I love the soundtrack. They've got, you know, because you get to pick, you're building a level, you got to pick what music goes with it. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Is, so do you get to, I mean, not only do you get to select a track or something, but can you set music? Like, like for example, you were talking about maybe the screen is scrolling from left to right, and now all of a sudden you're going to make it scroll up. Can you make music come in right when the up scrolling starts? Like, can you? do you have that level of control over the music and the level design? Not yet, but I'm going to put a suggestion into the feedback forum. <laughs> um, yeah. To, to, because, so... I don't want to get too far off topic just yet. I'll say that as far as music selection, so currently there are three biomes that you can unlock in the game. So, and that's mm. kind of the theme of the level. So the basic bricks will take on that theme depending on which biome you've selected. And it, that applies to your whole level. So okay. currently there's a forest biome, um, which gives you access to blocks that look like, you know, tree trunks and wood and, and leaves and stuff. Um, there's an ice biome and that's very, they're like rocks and ice and kind of these kind of temple pieces. And then there is a desert biome, which is like stone and like sandstone bricks and, and kind of these, uh, another kind of temple theme, but slightly different, kind of almost more of a, like very thin pieces and everything looks very precarious. Okay. Each biome has a selection of songs that are tied to it. So it, it applies not just the, the visual theme, but it also selects your musical theme. And each of the biomes has at least one or two tracks that are really energetic and a couple of tracks that are more kind of ambient or, or you know, lo-fi sort of feeling. So if you make a puzzle level, you're not stuck with like boss battle music, you know? And likewise, right. if you make a boss battle in the tundra or in the ice biome, you're not stuck with, you know, ambient noises there's an intense track and kind of a curious track and a fun track for all of the different bios
So, um, you know, in, in talking about the different features and things, something that, that we had mentioned at the beginning, but what I think that is important to reiterate is that, you know, Brett's gone through the alpha testing and what's going to come out here in, in April of 2019 is going to be the early access launch. And so what that means is that even features, you know, like Brett just said, you know, maybe right now you're not able to cue music in that way, but it's something he can suggest. And that's one of the really fun things about getting into early access um, with a good developer, which is something I want to talk about in a little bit as well, but is that you, if you participate, you can really kind of help shape the outcome of, of what's possible. Now, sometimes things aren't possible because maybe it's too hard to, to, to build into the existing framework of the game, the ability to edit music in a very specific way like that, you know, maybe, maybe the tools aren't really there for it and it would be too much to try and code that back in, but maybe it's something that they just hadn't considered and, and, and can easily add. Um, so I think that's really, that's really cool that, that, that it is early access. And that means that, that the game isn't actually done yet. You know, now a lot of people will, cry at early access or, or act like it's the sour experience but i don't think that's true i think that early access has some examples brett and i both were burned very early <laughs> again no pun intended i need a damn thesaurus <laughs> um i'm horrible at the english language but anyway um <laughs> bear with me while i use my 20 words that i fucking know so um <laughs> Anyway, but but very early on in the early access games even being a thing, we bought this game called Towns that we were both really excited about and really into. And then, uh, you know, just one day, six months or so after we bought it, the developer just announced that they were done and they pulled the plug. Um, and there's another yeah. famous example, the Double Fine production studio. They, they had a game that they... And Double Fine's an actual studio, so it's not just like an indie thing. And... Same deal. They had like a seven-year plan for early access and had to pull the plug yep. a year in. Um, so there are those stories of early access, but I actually think that those are the less common stories. You know, you have other stories like like Don't Starve or um, I mean uh, Arc. Right. I think Terraria was a full release, but it, I don't know. If it, 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 it definitely yeah. felt. It, I would put it as an example of early access if you compare their continued development. Okay, so time out real quick. Um, I'm sorry to 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 segue into Terraria very briefly because um, I that's not the topic of the episode. So we still love you, Butterscotch, and we still love you, Levelhead. However, I have to say that I read a release yesterday that Terraria has an entire year of content releases planned oh for Terraria my, this still? year. I know. Like every every know. time there's an update, it's almost like this could be the last one. Thanks, guys. It was a great run. Yeah, and and here's a thousand items that we're gonna add to the game, and then we're gonna call it good. And then there's like, there's been like six of those. <laughs> right, right. And is it? And honestly, as a gamer, I mean, Terraria full price is ten dollars. Right. Um. So it's a it's a value anyway. I, like four of these cycles ago, I was like, they could never add anything again, and it's already the most you know incredible thing. Or they could they charge me. Going. They could charge me ten dollars for each DLC, and I'd pay it. Something. I mean, it's it's wild. Anyway, again, I don't mean to. No, to, no. To go I think off it's a good a point, and I think tangent. that I think that there's a difference in there's the early access that's a cash grab that you can tell like this game is not done. Like there's like. There are some early access games that I'm glad I waited on. Yep. Um, uh, Astroneer is one of them. I loved it as a full release game. 
I saw it in early access and was excited by it and and refrained. I can't, I was like, I don't know. And I think you actually did pick that game up in early access, right? I did, and and I had I, I had an experience with it where it's a it's a cute game, but there was such it was so unpolished still, and there was so little to actually do that it kind of soured me on it. Right. And not that I think it's like terrible or something. No, but just, it's just, you know, you kind of get, you either play through everything it has to offer very quickly, or you just, you don't get to see the full vision. Well, and so, you know, I think that this is actually a good thing to, to, to talk about is, and I kind of already have, have, have talked around it, but you know, another game that, that Brett and I bought a long time ago um, in early access is, is Starbound. Yep. Uh, Starbound is kind of like Terraria in space is the very easiest way to describe right. it. It's more than that, but whatever. Um, Starbound, to be clear, now is a very popular game that I think is considered to be a very good game. Um, and, and I so I don't mean to, to knock it at all or say that it's not worth a play because I, I actually think it probably is. No, it, I, I definitely I, loved it. I played through the, the full release campaign, even if you don't right. get into any of the other stuff, just the campaign is a really fun story. And I liked it. And so, but, but the experience we had with it, at least initially, and, and still really, this is true for me, is that we got it when it very first came out. And to that developer's credit, they said over and over again on the page, do not buy this if you want a full product. Yeah, do not buy this tags. if you're looking right for a polished thing. This is the this is the the alpha of it, and we're just getting started. And I was like, nah, I want it. Uh, let's play it. And then, yeah, didn't really like it because it was very, very early. I think that having been through that, uh, sorry, I was was going to ask you real quick to compare having been through that since you played Starbound in that way, how would you compare where level head is as it enters early access? So in the limited launch period that I have had, you know, access to it, um, I played it nonstop for that entire access period. One of my Twitch streams uh, hit 10 hours. Um, in like a single playthrough with wow. like just a couple of bathroom breaks and I probably continued playing after I quit streaming and I, it's already getting to the point where it's in it's going to very quickly surpass every other game in Steam that I have and hit top 10 probably within the first week of it being released as far as number of hours played um, as far as quality of game, it's already well in, within the top 10. It's easily one of my favorite games. There is definitely enough content in the game to satisfy the most seasoned level builders. And there's a lot of things that people that have wanted for and wished for other level-making games to have, it has. Um, there's going to be some content. It's not, you know, it's not Mario Maker straight up so if you're looking if you want to say well mario maker has this well it's not mario maker but it it definitely has it has things that mario maker doesn't have in spades and droves and i i just i feel like there's 18 months of development in this game already and butterscotch shenanigans is a very agile studio they do very rapid development and very iterative development so they they don't set out with a design plan and then try to follow it to a T. They set out with a concept and try to have the game, you know, talk to them, so to speak, and then you know, try to understand its language and try to code to that. And I feel like 
it could have re easily released six months ago and and been just as much fun. So there's that much more polish that's on it. It, it in fact, there's so a kind of a running joke of the alpha was, you know, the dev said, hey, try to break this game. You know, do your best to actually break it. You know, have fun with it, but try We want bugs, we want feedback, we want suggestions, we want to know what breaks it. And the concerted effort of uh, a sig not insignificant chunk of people was only able to get one, like, game dump crash, like, full exit crash dump of the game to occur. Wow, and, that's pretty good. Right, and there was only... You know, kind of to, you had talked about, you know, with the music adding where, you know, sometimes the thing that you think as a player is really easy to add to the game is really hard because of the way it's coded. Sure. And sometimes something that you think is just going to be impossible to fix gets done lightning fast. And an example of that in the alpha we had is, is one of the players went in and built a level that was just springs. And, and springs are affected by physics and they affect each other. So when the game loads and gravity sets in, every spring tried to bounce off of every other spring simultaneously. And I, I don't know, it's probably a 60 by 40 grid of just <laughs> full of, and so we're talking hundreds and hundreds of springs, all simultaneous bouncing. And it, and it didn't crash the game, but it definitely got it down to that like sub one frame per second sort of play, right? So we reported it as a bug and like, oh, hey, we broke the game. You know, it didn't crash, but it definitely slowed to a crawl. And the devs were like, oh, I know what's causing that. And probably within a couple of hours, you know, a hotfix came out and was like, okay, hotfix is up, guys. And it fixed that issue. And while that, that level still isn't, you know, 60 frame super smooth, it definitely is probably easily you know 40 frames like it doesn't really lag anymore it just works and and like to that note like if you get into early access there are buttons asking for feedback all over this thing not just bugs but also suggestions and butterscotch shenanigans has been a company that has over its history really listened to its fans they released a pretty significant patch for crashlands not too long ago that added several more game modes to the game and completely reworked the equipment system. Like from the ground up, it plays almost, as far as you know, the types of equipment you can get, you can kind of become a class specialist now. And it's something that the community had asked for and a lot of people wanted. It got put into the game, you know, several years past launch. And Levelhead, they're asking for that. There are things that, you know, myself and several other people in in the alpha test asked for like hey we think that switches should be able to activate this other item too like it doesn't this switch doesn't activate this item we think that should be part of the game and if you make a good case for it and explain why and other people agree with you the devs aren't against like okay if that's what the community wants we're gonna do it you know and and put that they implemented that during alpha those items are now affected by switches and several other people just took off with it like yes now i can build the level that i want and i i encourage you if you've been burned by other early accesses before and you're even remotely interested in a, a level making type game that if you get in it during early access you get a chance to have your voice be heard with a, a company that will listen to you and will 
you know, they're not going to put everything you want in there. Like you said, sometimes it may not be possible. Sometimes it's just a low priority. But they'll listen, and they'll either give you a reason why that's not something they can do. Like, hey, this isn't something that, you know, if you, if you come asking for online multiplayer within the first six months, you're going to get shot down no matter what. Guaranteed. And probably past that. <laughs> but if you come in and say, hey, this item, it would be really awesome if this item interacted with this item, because... I could do so much with it there are you know and it kind of explain your case then who knows you know you get enough of the community to vote you know on your side and they do plan on possibly adding things like voting systems where they go okay what do you want us to work on next and have a real back and forth community involvement their discord server they're always popping into all the various sections of their discord server and commenting on things from writing art and music to game design and their games and so they're they're a really involved company so if you want to be involved in that if you want a level maker to have the things that you want in it then jump in and, and give that feedback because that's how you're going to get it to happen yeah so that was actually kind of exactly what i was going to hope to prompt you to explain <laughs> you just did it. No, which is great. i don't mean that yeah no i don't mean that in a, in a negative way at all but that's what I was going to say. Is so there's kind of two things to, to look at when looking at, at you know early access for games. A, has anyone else played it, and what do they think of it? So obviously you're getting that firsthand from Brett right now, and you know it, it obviously sounds like it's a very high quality, high level a level of polish, um, and just a lot of integrity in the design of the game. But then the other thing that you look at, and this is not unique to gaming. This is just all business. Um, you know, just this last weekend, I, I went and had a, a meal uh, with some friends out of town at this restaurant. It was a, a very nice restaurant, and it was probably the single best dining experience I've had. But the reason that that's true isn't necessarily because it was the you know, the flavor was the, the best flavor I've ever tasted or the, you know, the wine was the best wine I've ever had. To be clear, flavors and wine were both very good, but... The real truth is that what makes a good business is how well do you deliver on your promise. And Butterscotch Shenanigans, the company that, that makes this, uh, Levelhead, I think is a company that's, that has demonstrated a track record over the, the, the time that they've been around of being a company that delivers on its promises. So not only do you have a quality game already in, in its current state that's only going to continue to get better as you move forward, but you've also got a company who just has this track record of, of kind of doing the right thing and, and again, delivering the promise that they've made. this company for, for quite a while do you care to elaborate on any of the interactions that you've had with them Brett, outside of of level head yeah yeah for sure so um i've i've had a few um 
there was uh, so this was like two years ago, uh, actually about two and a half now. Um, actually, almost three. Anyway, I don't want to think about how old I'm getting. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were going to head up to St. Louis for uh, to watch a a live theatrical version of another podcast that I listened to, which is Welcome to Night Vale. And they were having a, a live show sort of event in St. Louis. So, you know, my wife and I decided, hey, this would be a really fun adventure for us to go do. We could go to St. Louis, go see this show. And, you know, we, we kind of booked our tickets and stuff. And it, it was kind of short notice for us. You know, we had like two or three weeks notice, but not, it's not a lot. But I, I realized, I was like, holy crap, if we're going to be in St. Louis and you know, we plan on staying two or three days to actually, you know, go see some other sites and parks and go hiking and stuff and just have a little vacation out of it. Like if we're going to be in St. Louis, that's where Butterscotch Shenanigans is. Like, I wonder if I could meet these guys. Like, I wonder if I could like convince them to like, let me see their studio or something like, Hey, I'm a huge fan. And, uh, so I, I just, you know, took a stab in the dark and I shot their, their corporate email. Uh, I noticed that Hey, I'm going to be in St. Louis from this day to this day. I really longtime fan, you know, I've, I've been in your discord and stuff and excuse me, if, if, if you guys are available, I would love to drop in and say, hi, see the studio, you know, chat with you guys. And so they, you know, I was actually really surprised that the kind of the next morning about 8 AM when they kind of do their email work, I got a reply and they said, yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, how about we set something up? You know, we're pretty close, you know, uh, uh, right now at the time their dev quarters was in, uh, one of the basements. So like probably not going to take it to the house, but, uh, you know, there's a Starbucks that's pretty close by that we'd be love to meet you guys at. And, cool. and sure enough, you know, a couple weeks go by, we go to St. Louis and, and I sat down and had, you know, a couple coffees with them. I got to meet the entire dev team and and just hang out and and enjoy you know just chit chatting about games and and life and what was going on and and you know be able to get a couple signatures, couple photos and and it was just it was an amazing time and you know fast forward to last fall because they've had a few of these requests as they've been you know getting bigger as a studio um, and kind of more popular, more well known. They decided to host a Shenanicon, which is a butterscotch shenanigans convention and you know they have a more official office now so they've got you know some conference rooms in the same office building that they can rent out they do a live podcast recording with the whole crowd there you know you get badges like a like a true blue convention i have you know a lanyard and a badge got to got to uh at that time this was late fall got to see some stuff for level head that uh, may or may not still be in the process of something that you won't see in early access, but could be in a later version of the game as they, like I said, they do very rapid, very iterative development. And so we got to see some, some of the inner workings of the studio. They served us dinner. They had a, you know, a, a whole buffet dinner set out and it was an awesome time. Like they're, they're doing Shenanicon again this year. Tickets are on sale. I believe it's going to be in like September or October. Um, but they, uh, I've, I've already got my ticket for it, which is the only reason why I'm not like dead set on the date. It's like, I just know that I have an, I have an email reminder set up and time already requested off for months in the future. So I'm, I'm already set, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
but yeah, I'm, I don't, I know that they're going to do a live broadcast, uh, or a live podcast recording again with a, with a real studio audience. Um, I don't know what else they have in store, but I'm, I'm excited for it. And every interaction that I've had with them, they're like the friendliest, coolest, their three brothers are, are the main devs and they're just, they treat everybody like family. Like it, it's, they're such incredible people and it's so, I, I mean, I was kind of starstruck and, and it's just like, they're, they, you approach them like real people. They talk to you like real people. They communicate with their community like real people. They don't, you don't feel like you're talking to a CEO and they're looking down on you or whatever. Like, like I'm a developer. I know better than you. Like, you know, sometimes you got to play that card. Like I'm the dev of this game. If you don't like it, that's it. But they don't really do that in that sense. Like, even if it is, even if they do shoot an idea down, they explain why, like, why is this not going to work? Or what are the unintended consequences that you as somebody submitting your idea didn't think about? Like, oh, if you if we do implement this into our game, it ruins half of the other game. So we're probably not going to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But they explain it in a way that, like, you know, here's why that's not going to work. Instead of ignoring you or just shutting you down or saying no, they go, oh, well, you know, one thing you may not have thought of when you submitted this is that it's going to impact these other things. And so if you could come up with a way to do it that isn't going to impact that, then you let us know. But otherwise, this is probably a no for now. And I don't know. Every experience that I've had with them has just been friendly and fun and hilarious. Like they just, their games are a direct reflection of, of who they are. They're fun, bright, they're colorful, they're hilarious, and they're down to earth. They know when to tell a story and when to have a serious moment and when to just do something completely off the wall. And it's, it's really fun to see. Well, that's awesome. Um, well, I know I am definitely looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to it as someone who honestly has never really tried to design levels and never really, um, you know, gotten into that side of it. Um, but the thing is, is that even if you're not someone who wants to make levels, the benefit of a game like this is that you have infinite content because you're not just waiting on the developer to releasing some release something because you have the whole community, just like Brett's been describing, you know, throughout the show also creating and adding new new experiences. And I think that in a game like this, you know, kind of talk, harkening back to the beginning of our conversation, when I was talking about how 2D platformers have this kind of, um, you know, beautiful simplicity to them because there's just not as many mechanics to account for, I think that you see really good ideas come out of this type of game in that makerspace as compared to something like Portal 2, um, which Portal 2, one of my all-time favorite games, but Portal 2 has this community feature, but most of the community-generated levels just aren't very good. And I think it's because Portal is so complicated in what you could do that it's kind of like you really have to be a really, really good level designer to to kind of get anything out of it. And it's all a three-dimensional space and, and all these things. Whereas something like Levelhead, I think even someone who's more novice or more amateur in in level design can still be comfortable and be confident that they can make something that, that can be enjoyable. Right. And as a, as a gamer, you can be confident that you're going to find user created stuff. That's actually worth a damn as opposed to, you know, scouring for the one thing that's actually fun to play. Right. And, and one of the things that butterscotch has done to help try to facilitate that 
that you I, I haven't browsed the community content of Portal 2, but I can imagine puzzles are just really hard to make. Like it's hard to yeah. make a puzzle that accounts for all of the solutions that players come up with on their own and, right. and don't do your intended solution. You have to block them from that, you know. But but more so, there's a lot of filtering options. So to begin with, you're, when you build a level and you publish it, it goes to what's called the marketing department. And this is a spot where just every level that's submitted goes there. And um, if you play other people's levels in the marketing department, you earn what's called exposure bucks because they can only pay you in exposure. But what those exposure bucks do is you can apply them to any level, including your own, to raise them up the rankings and levels will be listed by highest amount of exposure bucks first. So if you oh. play a level in the marketing department that you really like, you can give it your exposure bucks. Or if you want to make sure that your level gets seen, you can put your exposure bucks in it and that'll raise it up the rankings to the top of the list. Now a level to leave the marketing department, it needs to get a certain number of unique players and a certain number of uh, plays generated, right? And once it gets those, or if it is never beaten, um, it'll be assigned a difficulty ranking based on how long it took to beat and how many times people died or restarted during the level. Like, how difficult was it? You know, what's the clear rate, basically? It gets a one through five ranking, and from there, it's placed into what's called the tower. So the tower, you can search through, I want to only see five-star ultimate difficulty levels that nobody gets that's very difficult to beat all the way down to one-star levels which are like there's probably not a lot of monsters or things that can kill you maybe it's just platforming or uh like a don't move level where you stand still maybe it's just a fun contraption because there's a lot of kind of you know like switches and elements that like moving platforms and things that you can build Maybe you just want to build like a music box. There are note blocks in the game. So if you want to build something that just plays mm. a song, you're probably not going to die. It's probably going to be an easy level, right? And then well, that's... Uh, just finally, there's also the unbeaten basement. So it's possible to go into the marketing department and a hundred different people play your level and nobody can beat it. Then there's this kind of bottom category of this tower, this kind of hidden spot, which are the unbeaten levels. That means only the level creator has, because you have to beat your own level to publish it, but only the level creator has mm. beaten it. So if you want the hardest, trickiest, you know, weirdest, outside of the box thinking levels, that's where they're going to be, you know? And on top of all of that, every level has a little card that you can, that you view as you scroll through them that shows you based on how many of each different element is in the level, it gives you a bar graph that shows what's in this level. So if it has a lot of switches and levers and locking doors, it's gonna have a really high puzzle ranking. If it has a lot of monsters, it's gonna have a high monster rating. If it has a lot of traps or it's a troll level kind of thing, then it's gonna have a lot of, you know, trap bar graph. And you can see the bar graph for every level just as you're scrolling through. And so if you want a puzzle level, you can filter by, I want to see levels that have a high amount of puzzle ranking. You know, I want to see levels that have a high amount of traps or a high amount of, you know, world building elements or high number of monsters. So you can tailor your experience based on what kind of levels you want to play. Hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. 
Um, I, honestly, the, I mean, all of that sounds really, really neat as far as the filtering to, to be able to kind of sift through it and sort through it. But the, the fact that the player has, the maker, the creator has to beat their own level before they can publish it is awesome. That's, a, that's such a simple rule and such a very easy thing to implement and yet so powerful because it eliminates almost immediately the concept of anyone creating some bullshit impossible level right. where there's just a pit that you're just going to fall in and that's it and everyone slams their head thinking that it's beatable but it's really not um that's really that's uh, I, I love those little simple innovations like that where someone just figures out <laughs> how to curb some huge problem in a very non-intrusive way like cool you want to make it and you want other people to play it you should be able to play right. it oh you can't gtfo um well as I've said, you know, throughout the show, I'm definitely very excited about Levelhead. Definitely very excited to to get my hands on it and play it, and also to to watch Brett stream it. I, I've checked out some of Brett's streams whenever he was streaming it during the alpha, and I know that will continue to be a source of entertainment and uh, and good content. Brett is just as engaging in his stream as he is here, constantly talking about not only what he's you know what's happening in the game, but but also just kind of bigger picture kind of things and, and ideas that he's seeing. Um, so I think everyone will be well rewarded for, for checking that stream out. What is your, your your streamer name on Twitch? Is it is it Quantum Anomaly? So it, it is, but unfortunately the the uh, screen name of Quantum Anomaly I've actually had in most places since like, mm-hmm. ten years ago. But there are a few mm-hmm. places where just the straight spelling got swiped before I really got involved in them. Um, mm. So I. I I'm not really out to kind of purchase it and it doesn't look like the user has even really touched it since they they nabbed it so i don't know if i could even get a hold of them um but my current twitch.tv uh slash quantum underscore x underscore anomaly there's oh, okay. cheeky underscores got to get in there but yeah quantum underscore hey. x underscore anomaly that's my my twitch channel did you think about doing quantum underscore anomaly underscore six nine four twenty is that was probably available. I could oh. also do like okay. XXX69 <laughs> underscore and do it, you know, get it bracketed on both and capital and lowercase and all that, you know. Gotta, gotta get myself a nice AOL screen name in here, you know. <laughs> hey, right, for sure. Um, well, did, did you have anything else that you that we haven't talked about with Levelhead that you wanted to share? There's so much I haven't talked about. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's, well. I, I, I won't go into all of it, but there are tons of unique enemies that will surprise you in the way they act and the AIs that they have. You know, there's guys that can teleport onto your face. There's robot sharks. There's power-ups galore that can, you know, turn you into a, a wall-jumping, ceiling-climbing ninja or a, a teleporting, um, uh, you know, a teleporting robot with laser horns. Um there's so much content in this game already and it's a it's a fraction of what they had you know planned to have on their 1.0 launch uh it is coming to steam early access but they do intend for when they do get to their 1.0 release it'll come out on switch as well um they just can't Mm, patch it as quickly nintendo has pretty strict requirements on patch testing so I think all er- consoles do. Yeah. And so in early access in Steam, that gives them the ability to patch daily if they want to. And in alpha, right. they they were willing to, to do that and be very quick with their patches, very involved in development. And 
so so they can do that iterative nature. Once they hit 1.0, they'll release on Switch. They're looking at possibly releasing on mobile as well. They have some proof of concept built for mobile um, with cloud syncing, so you can build a level on your phone or your tablet and come home and play it on your PC, um, or vice versa. And and some of that stuff is being looked at. Um, it has been kind of backburnered a little bit. And, and if you want more in-depth reasoning as to why and their thoughts on that, check out their podcast, Coffee with Butterscotch, um, available everywhere podcasts are. It's a, it's a fun time if, if you like, you know, seeing the inside of how a game is developed. Um, they also do some comedy stuff, some life stuff, and just some, you know, general games industry stuff. But it's a, it's a good podcast, so. Awesome. Well, I, I really thank you for taking the time to, to join the show today and, and tell us all about Levelhead. And, and, you know, this has been a really fun conversation. Again, the developer is Butterscotch Shenanigans. The game is Levelhead. The release time frame is April of 2019. In the show notes, I will link to the Steam store page because I believe there's a Steam store page yep, that's just can. a coming soon page already. Yep. Um, so even if it's not out when this episode comes out, you'll still be able to, to find where it will be available. Um and then again, you know, the, the expert and the authority and the streamer that you need to be turning to in this game is Brett Lindley. Quantum Anomaly is, is what it'll be. And, and again, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So please check it out there. Um, Brett, thanks again so much for joining yeah, us today. Thank you. It was, it was great to have me and, and, and be able to, to really gush about this. I've been, I've been excited for so long. <laughs> yeah, man. No, I get it. It's so, it's so much fun to be a part of something that cool. I'm really, I'm really happy for it. Well, again, thanks for, for listening, everyone. Have a good day. so much for listening uh, as we talked about the game is Levelhead, and you can find it on the steam early access please check in the show notes and you can find links to uh, the store page on steam where you can buy the game as well as links to uh, brett's twitch channel the quantum anomaly stream definitely go check brett out he's uh, got some entertaining content over there Levelhead's a game that's just as much fun as it is to watch as it is to play so you'll definitely enjoy that thanks again for listening have a good one